And I read it and I thought it was awesome. I thought it was great. And I, as I read it, I read about the character that um, uh, Ryan... Ryan? It's Ryan. Ryan. <laughs> to play and I said and I and with great enthusiasm I called up the producers and I said this is great I can't wait to get blah 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 and uh, what a great part why don't we see if we can get um, a Ryan Ryan, <laughs> Ryan Gosling yeah. and they said oh, yeah, that's right. oh uh, I don't Did know you how say to Gosling uh, <laughs> Gosling Brian, yes, uh, Ryan, Ryan Gosling. And I said, "Why don't this one. is a great part for uh, Ryan Gosling?" <laughs> What's up, Kairos? It is great to be with you. Um, hey, this is a special night. Uh, I've always wondered who are the students who really care about school, and you're the ones who are not skipping class on Thursday and Friday. So kudos to you. Turn to the person next to you and say, "I knew you were smart." Uh, hey to you who are here in Ames, and hi to those of you who are in Iowa City who are joining us. You got a little bit more elbow room today, um, because, you know, the people who don't take their lives as seriously aren't here. And so, make sure that you stretch out a little bit and, and enjoy this. Uh, my name's Danny, like I said, and, and you won't offend me if, if you forget my name, like Han Solo uh, or Harrison Ford was forgetting Ryan Gosling's name in that clip. But is there anything more terrifying than forgetting I mean, really, sometimes forgetting is one of the scariest things in the world. Have you ever forgotten somebody's name when they're right in front of you and it's just not clicking? And not only are you not remembering their name, you're also like not even remembering where you know them from. And they're talking to you about your family, about your grandparents, about what you did when you were five years old. And you're like, I cannot place you. I want to challenge you on something. Next time that somebody comes up to you and says, hi, I'm so-and-so, and it just goes over your head. You know, you ever had an experience like that before? Where you were introduced to yourself like, hi, I'm Danny. They say, hi, I'm, and all of a sudden it's like they're speaking a foreign language, even though it's just your name, and your brain goes somewhere else. And then you say, hi, oh my goodness, what's your name? I have a challenge for you. What if you just respond right away and say, hi, I already forgot your name? I mean, because we do, right? And why wouldn't you say that? Well, we wouldn't tell them that because we don't want them to feel bad. Because we know what it's like to be forgotten. You know what it's like to realize that someone hasn't been thinking about you. You know what it's like to realize that someone doesn't remember who you are. And that makes us feel bad about ourselves. I read this about what happens when we are forgotten and we realize it. This comes from the University of Aberdeen in Scotland. This is probably my favorite university that I've found a study from so far. Being forgotten is a common experience. So if you've been forgotten, if somebody forgets your name, don't worry, it's not because you're not special. It's because everybody else stinks, not you, okay? All right, so sometimes make excuses for them. And we don't make excuses for them just because we're trying to make them look better. We make excuses to try to soften the blow. We don't want to feel as bad about ourselves when somebody forgets about us. But when somebody does forget about us, it affects our self-esteem in the same way as being ostracized or rejected. Isn't that interesting? We equate being forgotten with being rejected. Has anybody here ever been forgotten? There are examples in our life where we are forgotten and it's a little bit lighter. 
It's not so serious. I texted my family today. I said, hey, is there ever a situation in my life where I've been forgotten? And it's like my phone just blew up. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, oh my goodness. My dad immediately texted me. He said, yeah, one time I forgot you at church. Mom also forgot you. She thought that I had you. I thought that she had you. We came back. You didn't miss us. You were having a party in the nursery. So I was maybe a little bit preoccupied. My sister texted quickly after that. We also forgot you at church when you were in about fifth grade because you were playing the drums and keyboard. Uh, and I think that it also happened when you were in high school because you were climbing in the catwalk in the worship center at our West Des Moines campus. Like, okay, preoccupied. I later was told, it seems like the common denominator here is you get distracted easily. Yes, that's true. I do get distracted easily. And that was a time where I was like, okay, I know my family didn't mean to forget me. I didn't feel ostracized or rejected by them. But there are other times in my life where I've been forgotten. I feel really, really bad about it. Like, it makes me feel bad about myself when I think about certain experiences when I've been forgotten. My first year of college at Warburg College, we were having, like, this freshman orientation. Do you remember those freshman orientation events that they put you through? Like, you're in groups with people. You're kind of scared. You feel like you're just a bunch of swarming, squiggling little fish. You're, like, just trying to find your way to something good, Right? Well, we went on this ropes course adventure with the entire freshman class at Wartburg College. We rode in these buses, and I got so, so obsessed with completing this one ropes course that I didn't realize it was time to go. Now, there was one friend that I met. His name was Nick Dash, and he has one of those ropes course, obstacle course, whatever thing it was. And we were determined. We had to get this thing down. We didn't want to give up on it. By the time that we come back to the base where the buses were supposed to pick us up, we realized the college had left us. We were forgotten. We were left behind. And I should also note that because this was a freshman orientation bonding experience, we were asked to leave our phones on campus. Completely forgotten, completely left behind, and eventually, I don't remember how, but somehow, someway, one of the buses realized they had to turn around and bring a bus full of all these new friends that I had, and I'm standing there, in my first week of college, I have to look at like a hundred students to say, you all forgot me. You all rejected me. None of you care about me. I mean, I felt bad about myself. I felt left out. When we are forgotten, we equate it with being rejected. And when we feel rejected, we feel like we're not important. I think that's why we try to soften the blow. That's why we try to come up with excuses for why somebody forgot us. Because we don't want to feel bad about ourselves. We're reading from a story tonight in the book of Genesis. And it's one of the most famous stories, whether you are a Christian or not. One of the most famous stories that's ever been told. But it's also maybe one of the most forgotten stories. And ironically, it's about a lot of things. It's about faithfulness. It's about purpose. It's about endurance. It's about dreams. It's framed by this idea of forgetting and remembering. Now, oftentimes we hear about this story in Sunday school. You heard about it when you were a kid. And so to kind of like introduce us to it, I've got my beginner's Bible did anybody have, grow up with one of these, the beginner Bible, and then you have like all the pictures? It's very sweet. I, some of you are like, oh, I want to go back. Yeah, you know, you do. It was, it's, it's beautiful. So let me tell you what's happening in this story. Last week, we heard about Adam and Eve in the garden and their big old no-no. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it says, after Adam and Eve left the garden, many people were born. The people kept doing bad things, and they forgot about God. They forgot about God. 
Now, this is what it says in your big kid Bible in Genesis chapter 6. It says, the Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth. He saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. Things had broken, things had fallen apart. When the Bible describes sin in other places, disobeying God, hurting creation, what God values, says this in Psalm chapter 106, it says, they soon forgot God's many acts of kindness to them. And instead, they rebelled against him. Sin is equated to forgetting. We sin when we forget about God. And that's what's happening. The story continues, except there was Noah. And Noah loved God. God was sad that everyone but Noah forgot about him. He told Noah about his plan to start over. Make yourself an ark, God said. Here's how. So Noah and his family began to work on the ark. When it was done, God said, take your family and two of every animal into the ark. Animals creeped, crawled, hopped, and galloped onto Noah's new boat. And my wife's a first grade teacher, so I'm trying to remember that this is, you read it and then you show it to everybody. Huh? Huh? The story continues. After everyone was inside, the rain began to fall and fall and fall. The ark rocked this way and that way in the rising water. It seemed like Noah was forgotten out in the sea, and yet somebody was protecting him. Finally, the rain stopped. Water covered everything. Everyone inside the ark was safe. Noah and his family were very happy. See, you can see. They're very, very happy. If you'd like to read this later, just ask me about it. I'll give it to you for $5. (laughs) One day, Noah sent a dove to find land. It flew and flew, but never found any, so it came back. One week later, Noah sent the dove out again. This time it brought him an olive leaf. Noah cheered. It must have found land. The ark came to rest on top of the mountain and a promise to never flood the whole, to kind of ease us into this story. Because we read that and we see pretty pictures and we think that's cute, that's sweet, but this is intense, isn't it? I mean, take a look at this. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 6, when it says that, Jesus, that God had already looked over the earth and seen how wicked the people had become, it says God was sorry that he had ever made people and put them on earth. It says that it broke his heart. People had forgotten God. And God felt rejected. God felt ostracized. God felt abandoned. It broke God's heart. A lot of times when we see wickedness in the world, we cry out to God, why aren't you doing something about this? It hurts God. Now, in this story, we're going to see God do something radical. You heard about it in the children's story, and it kind of softens it for us. God, you know, he he sent a little pool onto the earth. God flooded the earth. He said, I'm starting over. I'm doing something about the wickedness that's happening because this is breaking my heart. You know, we cry out to God, do something about the wickedness, right? And then when he does something, we're like, why would you be so cruel and evil? But don't you know that this broke his heart? It broke his heart. It continues in Genesis chapter 6. God observed all of this corruption in the world, for everyone on earth was corrupt. Turn to the person next to you and say, corrupted. 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 Now, the same word that's used in the Hebrew for corrupt also means destroy. The world had self-destructed. The imagery here is morbid. It's terrifying. It's frightening. It is heartbreaking. God is brokenhearted at the self-destruction of the earth. God does not take pleasure, does not take pleasure in having to start things over. God does not take pleasure in having to act on wickedness. God is acting with 
tears in his eyes, it seems. The picture is truly morbid. God is looking at his children and he's seeing that they've It is not when I hurt them. It's when I'm hurting myself. It's when I look so confused and disoriented that I'm hurting myself. Do you understand? God loves you so much that God has made himself vulnerable to pain on your behalf. You actually have the power. God has given you the ability to hurt him. It does not mean that you hurt his being. It does not mean that you alter his perfection, but you have the ability to hurt God's feelings, God's heart, because God loves you that much, and when you love anything, you become vulnerable to a rage. God actually hurts because of the things that we do. And it's not because we're hurting his image. It's not because we're ruining his reputation. It's not because we're ruining his perfection. It's because we're hurting ourselves. And more than anything, God loves us. The image is truly morbid. The image that is showing up here, the image that the author is intending for the audience to see as they read this, is that of a parent cleaning up their child's lifeless body. God does not take action on the wickedness with revenge in his heart, but with tears in his eyes. The world had forgotten him. It broke his heart, not because he's so offended and so sensitive, but because he loves you so much that when you hurt yourself, you're hurting him even more. That's how much he loves you. Now, of course, if God would be forgotten, maybe it's easy to understand why other people might feel forgotten at times too. Maybe if we understand that God feels forgotten, God feels that pain upon being forgotten, we start to understand why we feel that pain upon being forgotten. Immediately in the story, we run into a man who knows what it's like to feel forgotten. It says Noah, there's Noah. Noah is this one person they found. Noah found favor with the Lord. And right after that verse, it says, Noah was a righteous man and he walked in close fellowship with God. Now you might think that Noah found favor with God after he was righteous. But keep in mind the order of this passage here. It says that Noah found favor and then he was righteous. Anybody here know the difference between finding $20 and earning $20? Has anybody here literally ever found $20? It's so great that if you tell a story that is meaningless, you finish it with, uh, and then I found $20. Anybody remember that joke? You don't? Okay, well, then I found $20. <laughs> Come on, that's hilarious. This is comedy 101. I can earn $20 with the work that I do, or I can literally run into it on the sidewalk. And then I have an opportunity to do something with the $20. Noah did not earn God's favor. Noah received the unexpected gift of God's love. And he simply responded to the love of God. We don't become righteous to earn God's love. God's love makes us righteous. Noah couldn't forget that. He couldn't get that out of his mind. He walked closely with God. Do you want to be righteous? Do you want to have good relationship with God? Stop trying to earn it. Realize that it's come for you. And it is as simple as walking across $20 on the sidewalk. Of course you're going to pick it up. 
unless you're on one of those hidden camera shows where they say, oh, why did you steal the $20? I don't ever like those. They're framed and they're not nice. <laughs> God's planted his love all around this earth. And he's made it so big that you cannot help but run into it. You don't have to be righteous to get it. It's given to you, and that's what makes you righteous. So God's in fellowship with, 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 with so Noah's in fellowship with God. He's listening to God. He's, he's mesmerized by God, and whatever God gives him, whatever that purpose is that God gives him, Noah wants to obey that. God says, build a large boat. And so, of course, he does. Build the large boat. And it seems like Noah's life is perfect. And sometimes we think, if I just start to listen to God, maybe if I'd get a little bit more righteous, then my life would be okay. Like, maybe the reason why my life is falling apart is because I'm not listening to God enough. Maybe I've forgotten God. Maybe you're hearing this sermon right now, and the thing that you've picked up so far is, I've forgotten God, and that's why my life is falling apart. Noah's life, in a lot of ways, was falling apart. Now, not in the way that you might think that Noah's life was falling apart. Maybe you've heard this story before, you've seen depictions of this story, and the thing that you hear is, well, as Noah was making this ark, people were mocking him. Like, his peers were like, hey, Noah, what you doing with all that wood over there? Preparing for a storm? Looks pretty sunny. No, he wasn't, like, that's not what was happening. The Bible doesn't actually say anything about Noah's neighbors seeing and mocking him. But in the book of Matthew, Jesus talked about Noah. And it said that before the flood, people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time that Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen. It's that people had forgotten him. It's that people were ignoring him. One of the most famous composers of all time, one of the most famous musicians of all time, it's Mozart. You ever heard of the guy? He's pretty famous, right? Mozart had a, had a rival composer. And before Mozart ever entered this scene, this composer was king of music. By the end of his life, at least in the depictions that we receive of him through the storytelling throughout the years, he was a miserable man. And it's not because the work that he had done was bad. It's that nobody was listening anymore. Nobody was listening to Noah anymore. They just ignored him. They just forgot him. It's not that they were making fun of him. They just didn't pay attention to him. Noah's forgotten. So here's my question for you. What's the dream that you believe God's given you? What's that passion that you have that you can't help but think about, that you can't help but stay up at night and dream about? What is that thing that wakes you up in the morning? Maybe it's the thing that you came to college for. Maybe it's the thing that's maybe starting to make you think, why did I come to this place? I should go focus on that thing. What is it? If you've got notes or if you've got your phone, go ahead and take that out. And I just invite you to actually write down, what's your passion? What do you believe your purpose is? What do you believe God put you here to do? And as you write that down, or maybe as you put it in your phone, I want to invite you to, if you've put it in your phone, actually physically write it down later tonight. If you're writing it in a notebook, actually take that and put it somewhere where you can see it every single day. Remind yourself, don't forget the passion that God has given you. I'm not talking about the thing in your life that you believe is going to bring you satisfaction. I mean the thing that really brings you love, that really brings you life, that really fills you with purpose. I mean the thing that makes you believe that you were put here for a reason. What is that thing? Write it down. Really contemplate it. And now I want you to be vulnerable, vulnerable enough to think about have I let go? We, we forget dreams all the time. And the dreams that we forget are the dreams that we've been distracted from. 
you know, maybe there's something else and we just couldn't keep our focus. There's also the doubts. Now, the doubts aren't necessarily that what I'm doing matters. Oftentimes the doubt is, I don't matter. I could never make a difference in this thing. What I'm doing doesn't matter. We start to doubt it. And then we just start to take these little detours and delays that just started as a break, but that eventually it turns into something that we never came back to. What are the dreams that you've forgotten about? What are the dreams that you need God to resurrect? Sometimes when we've forgotten our dreams, it's because we've forgotten God. Sometimes when we've forgotten God, it's because we think God's forgotten us. We think God doesn't have that dream for us anymore. I wonder if Noah felt that. In Genesis chapter 7, it says, for 40 days, the floodwaters grew deeper. For 40 days, it kept on raining, kept on raining, kept on raining. It rained, and it rained, and it rained. And I wonder how vulnerable Noah felt. It says that floodwaters covered the earth for 150 days. How vulnerable do you think he felt? When I was in college, my college track team took an international trip for a track meet, and uh, we, one of the adventures that we went on is we went on like a deep sea, like, like boat outing. And when we were like miles off the shore, the captain of the ship told us, okay, so right here, the ocean floor is about 2,000 feet down. And he asked us, who wants to jump out? It's one thing to swim in water when it's like two feet deep, right? You're not even swimming, you're just wading in it. But it is another thing to jump into water where you know that there are, there are thousands of feet of creatures beneath you. What's going to get you? Now, as 20-year-old Danny, I had no fear. I jumped off the boat, and then it hit me. And I realized, if I get very far away from this boat, I'm going to die, right? Please don't forget me like my freshman year when everybody just forgot about Danny on the ropes course. <laughs> and Nick Dash. God bless him. <laughs> I felt so vulnerable. It was so scary. I couldn't see land. I couldn't see the, 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 oceans, the ocean floor beneath me, not even close. For 40 days, it kept on to rain. It kept on raining. For 150 days, the floodwaters filled the earth. And I know this oftentimes gets us to the questions of like, okay, come on, really? This is where the Bible loses me. Now, keep in mind, Oftentimes when the Bible's talking about the entire world, we know from the context of other passages in the scriptures that when it talks about the entire world, oftentimes what it's talking about is the known world. We see this in many stories throughout the Old Testament. It is the known world. What they knew is the world. Did, did water cover the entire surface of the entire earth? I don't know. But it does seem as though as far as they could see and as deep as they knew, they saw nothing. And I wonder if Noah felt forgotten. Do you feel forgotten by God? Have you asked yourself that question lately? I know that one of the things that makes us forget our dreams is the doubt. And so I'm not trying to say like, okay, you should buy into your doubt and always spend time in your doubt. But are you being honest about what you've doubted? God's not afraid of your doubt. Even if the doubt is something as big as, I'm wondering if God still loves me. I'm wondering if God still has a purpose for my life. I'm wondering if God thinks my dreams are worth holding on to. It's okay to ask a question that big. But then remember this. As the ark floated 
for 150 days with no sign of land or safety. Why didn't it crash? I mean, think about it. It's like the hands of God are reaching down from the heavens and cradling Noah and his family. It says, God remembered Noah. And I think these are four of the most powerful words in the entire book of Genesis. But God remembered Noah. We might forget God. People might forget us. God does not forget you. God never forgets you. God created you. Have you ever made anything in your life? What do you think about those things that you made? Maybe for some of us, we see them like, okay, it's not that pretty. (laughs) But you remember it, don't you? I think about some of the earliest memories that I have as a child. And some of them are when I'm sitting in front of a piece of paper and I'm drawing. Maybe I'm one of the only people who thinks this way, but if I see a drawing that I made from when I was like seven years old, I can actually put myself in that chair in Mr. Whitehead's art class at Westridge Elementary, and I can literally see myself making it because it's something that I created. God doesn't forget you. God doesn't forget that feeling that he had when he made you. Why? Why is that? Because God's an artist. God enjoys making something. When you make something and you see something beautiful that you've made, I get it, there are things that we make and they're not so pretty, but God only makes beautiful things. And when you make something that's beautiful, doesn't it give you a certain sort of pleasure? I joked around a few weeks ago, and uh, messed around the guitar and showed you I'm not like a really great artist, right? I'm, I'm just not. But I know enough on the guitar to like be able to like mess around a little bit, you know? And one of my favorite things in the world to do is just to sit down and play guitar. And if you play guitar at all, like if you're like a Bible camp guitar expert level, right? You know what Bible camp guitar is? It's GCDC. It's a band? No, it's just a chord chart where you can play a thousand songs with three different chords. G, C, D, a little bit of guitar. And you see somebody with... Sorry, tuner, hold on. I think I got it? I'm not totally sure. We'll find out. You think I learned my lesson after a couple weeks ago, right? Is it on? Is it working? Cool, sweet. Like, if you see somebody else that has a guitar, you're just like, I want to pick it up. And one of my favorite things to do is just to noodle on the guitar. Like, not because I'm good, but because every now and then I stumble across something pretty. And I was doing this today, right? Not very good. But I was like, okay, I like that. Holden can attest to it. He was sitting right here. And I was like, okay. And it just makes you feel good to make something pretty to make something beautiful. And I can't forget this feeling. Now that's very, very amateur guitar. I'm literally sliding up and down the neck of the guitar with my fingers in the exact same position. If you play guitar, you know that's nothing. But I'll never forget this feeling. I'll never forget this feeling of what it feels like to create. The best artists, the best artists in the world, they don't create so that people notice them. They don't create to make money. They create because there's something 
that cannot be replaced by the pleasure of making something beautiful. There's nothing like making something beautiful. When God created you, God made you in his image. And he also gave you the ability to create. Isn't that amazing? You get to experience the same thing that God experiences. What will you do with your life? Will you create beauty? Will you remember? Don't forget. Remember the feeling. And never, ever forget this. God remembered Noah, but Jesus remembers you. Do do you know this? I I think that this is absolutely astounding to me. The end of Jesus' life, his life is falling apart, right? In John chapter 18, there's there's this passage, um, and Jesus is in a garden, and he's literally sweating blood. He's so anxious, he's so nervous, he's actually sweating blood. And what do you think was on his mind in that moment? Do you know you're in the Bible? Like you, specifically, you are in the Bible. In the worst moment of Jesus' life, Jesus says, I'm not only praying for the disciples that I have now, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will be one, just as you and I are one as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us, so that the world will believe you sent me. I've given them glory, the glory you gave me, so they may be one as we are one. I am in them, as you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me, and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. You're in the Bible. Jesus is praying for you. He, I really believe this. I believe Jesus, the Son of God, in his worst moment actually thought, I believe he thought of us. You're in the Bible. Jesus remembers you. And he's not going anywhere. He's not forgetting you. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says, because of the joy awaiting him, and don't you mistake this, the joy, the pleasure that God gets out of this world is the beauty that he sees in you because of the joy awaiting Jesus, the joy of creating you and spending eternity with you because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. He would not forget, he would not let go. The word there for endured is this beautiful word in the Greek. It's hypomeno, hypomeno, and it literally means to hyper stand and it's a military term. And it's a word that means if the general budges even an, even an inch, everything's going to be lost. Kind of like the sound right now. <laughs> that was crazy. Whoa. Oh, we're back. Man. I love the beauty. 
Hypomeno is a, it's a military term. It means to hyperstand. And it means that if you move even an inch, all hope will be lost for the people you're trying to fight for behind you. It's literally saying that Jesus wouldn't budge an inch. He would not budge an inch to let the waters, the danger, hurt you. He wouldn't budge, budge an inch. He remembers you. And so what does God demand out of us, right? Like, what does God ask out of us in a response to this? I mean, in some ways it's like, hey, I want to give you my whole life, but it's so amazing how simple it is, isn't it? I mean, what did Noah do? All Noah did was just respond to the love that he received from God. He found favor. He didn't earn favor. He came across it and it drove him for the rest of his life. So how do you remember God when you are tempted to forget the dreams that he's given you? Number one, you eliminate the distractions by listening to love. You listen to love now. You don't listen to those distracting voices that tell you to get off your course. You listen to love. And when you're doubting, it's okay to doubt and it's okay to name those doubts, but you don't have to stay in those doubts. You can dare to be different. And what do I mean when I say be different? Being different is not looking different on the outside, projecting yourself in a way that makes you stand out from the crowd so that everybody notices you first thing and when they enter a room. I remember when I was in college, I can't think of how many different times someone said, you gotta make yourself stand out. Anybody can stand out in superficial ways. The most different thing about you is that you are you. God didn't make another you. There's never been another you. You are the only you in the world. The most different thing, and let somebody take you away from you. God created you and it caused him so much pleasure. He takes so much joy in making you. And he takes so much joy in developing you and continuing to walk with you and helping you see everything that he made you to be. He takes so much joy in that. You be you. And instead of the detours, instead of the delays, you hyperstand with Jesus. He'll take the blows of the water, but you stand right behind him. You hyperstand. There's this, um, there's a passage in scripture that just, I mean, like rebuilds my heart every time I read it. In the book of Luke, there's a, there's a man who's gotten very close to Jesus in extremely unusual circumstances. When his friends had betrayed Jesus, and when they ran away from him, and when they ran away from the dreams that God had for them, who is most physically close with Jesus? In Jesus' most dire hour, even more dire than the garden, 
Who do you think God would want to be around him on his essentially his deathbed? He's on the cross. Who do you think he wants to be around him? Don't you think he'd want to be surrounded by friends? Don't you think he'd want to be with his loved ones? Don't you think he'd want to be with kings? Don't you think he'd want to be in comfort? He's hanging on a cross. And who does he allow to be with him? Closest, the most physically close person in the entire world next to Jesus while he's dying is a thief. There's two criminals. And we don't know a lot about their life, but we know that their entire life earned them their place on a cross to die, to be publicly executed and humiliated. The rest of the world saying, we want to forget about you. We want to move on from you. We don't care about you. You ought to forget about any dream that you've ever had. You don't belong here anymore. And this is who Jesus gets closest with at the end of his life. I read this and I just, I mean, I just feel so close to him. I feel so close to him. And in my direst moments, I feel even closer because I know what Jesus does in his dire moments. One of the thieves mocks Jesus and says, why don't you do something about this? And the other thief just says the thing that we all want to say. I mean, our greatest want, our greatest need is to be loved and to be accepted and to be welcomed, to not be forgotten, to not be rejected. And he says what I want to say. This man whose life was characterized by corruption looks at Jesus and he says, Jesus, remember me. Please remember me. I'm forgetting everything. I'm forgetting everything these days. Forgetting why I'm here. Forgetting my purpose. I feel like I'm forgotten. You remember me, please. Jesus says to him, I assure you, today, you'll be with me. Don't you remember his prayer? Don't you remember what he said? His prayer to his father was, I pray that they're with me. I pray that they feel my presence. I pray that they know that I'm in them. And know this, Jesus doesn't pray for things and it happens. And when Jesus speaks, things happen. And to this criminal on the cross, the newest Christian, He doesn't mince words with him. I don't believe he minces words with him. He doesn't have time to waste. He's not telling him parables. He's telling him a truth. Today, you will be with me. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. The Bible says two times in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the book of Hebrews, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am always with you. Do you want to know what God is like? Well, he's got a great memory. He remembers how good it felt, how much pleasure it brought him to make you. He sees you right now. He knows exactly how you're feeling. If you're numb, he's there with you in it. If you're sad, he's crying with you. If you're rejoicing, he's high-fiving you. He's lifting you up. He would never forsake you. He would never forget you. He would never abandon you. He would never reject you. He loves you. Do you want to know what God's like? 
God's got a great memory and God's near. God remembered Noah. In the grand scheme of the entire universe, I mean, how big is the universe? I mean, there are billions of stars. There's hundreds of thousands, millions of galaxies. This universe is so big that we can't jump from place to place. We can't even imagine doing that. It's so big. And in this entire universe, there is this tiny little insignificant galaxy compared to the other galaxies, the Milky Way. And inside that Milky Way, there's a relatively small star, the sun. And orbiting that small star, there's almost just this tiny little speck of dust. And on that speck of dust, there's a speck of dust. And as God looked over all of creation, God held that speck of dust, Noah. As God looks out over all of creation, over all of the universe, God sees you. And maybe there are days where you believe you're as insignificant as a piece of dust, but keep this in mind, God loves the dust. He doesn't forget the dust. He made you. He took joy in creating the beauty in you. And he will never forget you. Respond to his love. Know that he is near. Remember him. And you'll remember your purpose. And you can be a part of creating the beauty in the world too. Amen. Let's all stand and sing a song.